It is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. We welcome you to episode 48 of Telling the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. We talk pitching weekly here with the five-time World Series champ and the Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research extraordinaire, James Smythe, and myself, Justin Shackle. Guys, lots to discuss this week because we are at a really interesting point in the year where it kind of feels like the playoffs are closer than they appear. Every day we're thinking about the races and the standings, how many games behind one team is from the other, and we're kind of trying to form ideas for the postseason with a month and a half still to go here. That's a lot of schedule still to go in this baseball season, a long time. So nothing's close to being decided. And yet at the same time, I think we can begin to look at that remaining schedule for some teams and how they match up with others down the stretch. So it's an interesting point right in the middle of August, just a unique point in the schedule we are in. Overall, as a player, David, when you guys are in the dog days of August, I guess this is why we call them the dog days. What, what is the mentality day to day going inside a clubhouse in the middle to later portions of this month? You know, the, the thing I notice with a lot of the modern game and the modern clubhouses is there's a lot of celebrating after wins. You know, we've got uh, dances going on. It sounds like the club and the Yankees, uh, you know, like there's a DJ in there. It sounds like they're going out to the after hours clubs to me. Uh, uh, you know, there's presentations, there's belts. Every every team's got their own little shtick they go through uh, in, in the Mets clubhouse. I think uh, – Vogelbach did some sort of a dance that was like a scene from Saturday Night Live and, and Chris Farley and the Chippendales, you know, back in the day. One of those are that original classic scene on, on SNL. So, yeah, conversely, when you're losing, it's dead. So when you have that kind of hoopla, when you do win and all the celebration that it's almost even exacerbated more when you're losing, it's got to be dead quiet in there. You're dying to turn on the music. You're dying to flip on the DJ. You're dying to give away the belt. And there's nothing. Nothing going on. That's got to be tough in major league clubhouses nowadays. The highs are high, higher and the lows are lower. And we're still not quite at the three quarters point of the season. Teams in the high one teens trying to about to get to that 120 mark. The actual quarter pole of the big league season is usually in late August. Um, contrary to popular opinion, people always say quarter pole had the one quarter mark, but it's actually what a quarter of the race left to go. Yeah, there's a lot of schedule left. I think one thing that we could probably do is start to cut the fat away a little bit. There are teams that we know at this point, they're not going to be contending for October. And we could spend a little bit more time on the teams that are in contention, still fighting for those spots and focus on the pitching aspect with those respective clubs. So we're going to go around the league here this episode. We're going to take a look at what is really gearing up to be a fantastic finish in the AL Central. And that was that was the division that was kind of an afterthought for most of the season, especially in the first half. Everyone's waiting for the White Sox to kind of make that run. They're an interesting part of their schedule right now. All three teams, Twins, White Sox, Guardians, they kind of all play one another a lot down the stretch over the last quarter of the schedule. So an interesting race there. We'll get into the Yankees. We'll go around the National League with the Dodgers and with – they're doing as far as they're starting pitching, gearing up for the playoffs. We'll look at the Mets, the Braves, the NL East, and then take a look at some teams that, you know, kind of fail to meet expectations for a large portion of this season. But 
they are still in the thick of things and you can't write them off just yet. At least in my opinion, we'll touch on those teams later on in the show, but like we do each week to start the show, it is the opener. David, what do you have for us this week? Well, I, I was going to say this to the end, but you know, I think it's, it's a story for now, especially in today's game. Um, the only way you can improve your team after the trade deadline is internally. You have to call up the kids. And that's what the Yankees are doing. Oswaldo Cabrera and Esteban Floreal looks like they're going to be coming to the Yankees and potential others as well. And I could just tell you, you know, as a veteran player in my own experience back in the year 2000, you know, we, we ended up in the subway series with the Mets. We ended up winning it, but I had an awful year. I fell on my face, a complete face plan. I lost 10 in a row. I was terrible. And leading into the second half of the season, I needed a break, even though I was still fighting. I was like, I'm okay. I'm like the Black Knight in Monty Python. I, it's just a flesh wound. I keep me, Joe, I'm okay. Run me out there. And finally, George Steinbrenner said he'd seen enough. He demanded that I leave the team, go down to Tampa and work with Billy Connors and kind of get a regrouping, a reset and just get away from the team, get away from the media and just kind of uh, get a break a little bit. And it really helped me. You know, it really was a blessing in disguise. As a veteran player, I needed that. Uh, when I came back, I actually turned it around. If you look at my season in 2000, if you look at the overall numbers, they're a disaster. But in the month of August, I came back after that break, two-week break. I was 3-1 and one in August. I had an under-4 ERA. And then in Kansas City one day, I was diving for a ball, and I dislocated my left shoulder, and that shot me for the rest of the season. But that little break actually did work. Maybe that's what somebody like an Aaron Hicks needs, or maybe even a Josh Donaldson at this point. A little bit of a break, a veteran player that's grinding mentally. You need a little bit of a break. That's where the kids can come up. And, and you get a look at the kids. A veteran player maybe gets some rest. Maybe they're nursing some injuries that we don't know. The first thing that goes sometimes when you're injured or you're not physically sound is, is your performance. For a pitcher, it's your location. For a hitter, maybe a little bit of bat speed. Maybe you're pressing. You get into bad habits. A little bit of a break, a step back can really help. So the only way to do it nowadays is to call up the kids. I'm a big fan of it. I want to get a look at these guys. I know the fan base does too as well. I want to see more of them. You know, I wish we could. I wish we could see Anthony Volpe right now, but that's probably not the right thing to do for his development. So I get it. Is that Oswald Peraza? You know, I get it. You know, Isaiah Kiner for the left is your shortstop. Well, maybe, you know, he can move around too and play some third base. Maybe it's time to rip the Band-Aid off and find out who can play and who can't. So I find it interesting, but my own experiences, I told you in that story, tells me that a little bit of a step back can really help guys. So maybe that'll work for Aaron Hicks. Maybe Josh Donaldson needs a little bit of a step back too. That's an interesting approach, David. I don't think we see it often enough because teams don't often have the money in the bank in terms of having wins coming at them from earlier points in the season. Is that something that only the teams who have set themselves up for a lot of success early on can afford to do down the back stretch of the season? Yeah, I think also just the rules changes. You know, I was uh, you could you could make waiver deals in, in past history to still enhance your roster. Now, you can no longer do that. I was actually traded from the Mets to the Blue Jays in, in 1992 after the trade deadline. It was towards the end of August. I cleared waivers. Actually, entire rosters cleared waivers back then in, in 1992. And therefore, once you clear waivers, then you can be traded. But that's no longer the case. So that's why you're limited to your own internal uh, depth, so to speak. You've got to be able to reach down in the minor leagues and call the kids up. And you see it in other organizations. You see Grissom come up right from double A with the Braves, you know, the same, same age as Anthony Volpe and make an instant impact because of injuries. They obviously needed him. 
but it makes you wonder, you know, sometimes these kids from double A are ready. Sometimes it's good to give them a look. You're not going to ruin them. If they had, they struggle out of the gate, you could always send them back and just to get a looky loo, as they say, you know, or, or Oswald Peraza, or it comes up and, you know, you get a look at him and can these guys move around with the ships? Can you play second base? Can you give Glaver a little bit of a break, you know, and move some guys around some interchangeable parts. Can we find out about these guys? I, that's the argument for it. The argument against it is service time. It's roster problems. It's, do you want to, you know, do you want those kids playing every day? You don't want to disrupt their development. I, I get it. You know, it's debatable, but that's what we're here for in this podcast to debate these sorts of things. And uh, I find it interesting, but the beginning has, has, has started obviously with Oswaldo Cabrera and Esteban Florio, who we've seen in the past, who's got kind of a high strikeout rate and he's prone to swing and miss, but he's also made some breakthroughs this year. And he also is very athletic. These kids can run, they move, they can play defense. They have skill sets that are not one dimensional. So that's also potentially an energy boost for, for, for any major league roster. And we'll see if it works with the Yankees. It's going to be interesting because Aaron Boone was asked a question about Esteban Floreal and like why it hasn't clicked for him as being a major leaguer. And just talking about not being able to take advantage of the reps that he had received up until this point. And I thought, yeah, you know, obviously you have to make the most of the opportunities that are given to you, but I can't recall a real extended stretch given to Esteban Floreal in his previous stints in the big leagues. Now, part of that is because the Yankees had healthy and able bodies and, and big name players also in the outfield that maybe he needed to spell at certain points when a judge or a Stanton did land on the injured list in pre previous seasons, a Hicks obviously as well. So maybe the extended opportunities haven't been there like you see with certain other organizations and certain players. But bottom line, if, if they're coming up now, Cabrera and Floreal, they have to be playing every day, right, David? Well, you have to give them a look. Yeah, I think obviously Aaron Hicks, uh, they're worried about Aaron Hicks. And as we said before, maybe he needs a little bit of a break. So, yeah, Floreal goes right to center field, uh, particularly against right-handed pitching. And Aaron Judge gets back to right field, and you can protect Aaron Judge a little bit. I mean, Aaron Judge loves playing center field, and it's great. He's been able to do it. But at the same time, he's so important that maybe a little more protection in right field, a little more natural position for him might be the right thing to do down the stretch. Floreal, at least, is very athletic. He moves around. I think that's one of the things the Dodgers have shown us, that their athleticism all over the field pays dividends for them, running the bases, defense, everything – with all these athletes running around the field, uh, it, it does. These skill sets, these skill sets show up in different ways, and and certainly from an energy standpoint, Oswaldo Cabrera and Esteban Florio are very good athletes, and they move very well. And it's going to be exciting to see them moving around the field, making plays, running the bases, and hopefully they get the bat going too. All right, we have more to talk about with the Yankees a little bit later on in this podcast. Here, want to go back to Tuesday night because it was probably the premier pitching matchup of 2022. At this point in the season, you had two pitchers who are one and two in the American league in ERA in August or later. The first time that's happened in 17 years, Justin Verlander against Dylan Cease Astros and the white Sox. They squared off on paper. looked like a mega matchup with two sensational arms and the results eh, kind of didn't live up to the hype on paper. Chicago got to Verlander in the seventh and tied the game. I think that was the biggest surprise that Verlander actually broke a little bit near the very end. He allowed three runs on eight hits in seven innings of work. 
C's gutted out five innings. He gave up three runs. My question here, David, how jacked up do pitchers truly get when they go up against a, a fellow big-time starter? Yeah, I think it probably meant more to Dylan Cease than Justin Verlander. You know, the classic old bull, young bull, you know, joke in theory there. So, uh, but nonetheless, you get the feeling that if you're trying to handicap the AL Cy Young, that Justin Verlander has some equity in the bank. You know, his, you don't want to say it, you, you, but it does matter. You, your career matters. Some writers are biased in that way. Some aren't. Some some are very good at just separating out just who was the best pitcher this year and performance to performance. And Dylan C certainly will be in that argument. But I still think Justin Verlander's ahead. If you look at his numbers across the board, they're slightly better than Dylan C's. And and uh, at his age and his comeback, you know, it's hard to it's hard to go against Justin Verlander right now. I, I think he's ahead in the race. Although there's several starts left. You know, we got six weeks left, so there's a lot of starts left, especially down the stretch, to see how this plays out. I think it's Verlander's to lose. He has a 1.95 ERA. He's leaning in a lot of other categories. There are guys in the mix like Dylan Cease, like Shane McClanahan. But I think not only statistically, but you mentioned some softer factors and how the writers might go. This is a huge story. So narrative-wise, the comeback for Verlander at his age from Tommy John and to be just as dominant or more dominant than he's ever been is incredible. And I think it is his to lose with, uh, call it, uh, six or seven weeks left in the season. Yeah, I'm with James. I think the the focus on how this is like a super shredder version of Justin Verlander coming back from Tommy John surgery is part of his story, a big part of the story here in 2022. He, he is looking better than ever. That's wild to think, but here we are. And Verlander, even though he got hit, near the tail end of that start still gave up seven, you know, went seven innings, gave up just the three hits. I mean, the three runs and obviously kept his team in line to win that game, but the Astros did not lose that game guys, the white yeah. Sox, And we're recording this on Wednesday. They've taken the first two games of that series against Houston. Everyone's kind of been waiting for the white Sox all season to go on a run and really take control of what was perceived as a weak division in the AL Central. Hasn't been the case all year, but the White Sox, they finished their series with Houston. Bare minimum, they'll have a series split. Then they face Cleveland this weekend. You have a makeup game against Kansas City, then a series with Baltimore, another team in playoff contention. Is this the now or never week for Chicago's playoff chances? I don't yes. say I don't say never. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you know, James, James uh, certainly will have a good perspective on this as well. But I think the White Sox are getting healthy again. Eloy Jimenez is back. Lance Lynn looks like he's going to be a threat down the stretch here and being healthy. So, yes. And then we just mentioned Dylan C. So, yeah, the White Sox to me are, are the team that's looking to make a move. They will make a move in my my uh, estimation. I, I think that uh, the, the depth of their lineup, if they get Tim Anderson going again, get him back and healthy. Uh, yeah. The, I think all, all things are trending in the right direction for the White Sox to make a, make a big run at the end and take control of that division. Not that a so-so week or a poor week would knock them out, but we've been waiting for them to make their move all year long. And I think this is them starting to gain steam. Coney mentioned them getting healthier. And the other thing to keep in mind is that I don't, nobody's going to run away and hide. So this might end up being a race to 86 wins for that central division title and the three seed. So I think the White Sox 
were the consensus favorite going into the season and they've hung around and now it's a three team race and they're as good a pick as anybody. I like to see talent win out, obviously. And on paper, the White Sox are as talented as any team in the majors. And everybody's been saying that all season. They've got to put it together. The defense scares me just a bit, but David, you mentioned some arms, Lance Lynn, obviously Dylan Cease. Liam Hendricks has really gotten it together uh, over the last several weeks. So if he can continue this, that may put the White Sox over the top here. And James is right. The White Sox, the Twins, the Guardians, they are all facing one another a ton down the final stretch here. I think the White Sox, let me, let me I have them right here. The White Sox have 15 games left with Minnesota and Cleveland. Twins have 17 games left, left with Cleveland and Chicago. And then Cleveland has 14 left with Minnesota and the White Sox. So out of those three teams, which one in the AL Central do you think you have the most confidence in? I think the White Sox need Sam Anderson back. I'm not sure the exact timetable on him, but once he does come back, how much time is left in the season? He's a big influence on that team. He's a leader. They need him. But I do. I give the advantage to the White Sox because of the pitching. And then, as you said, Shaq, you know, Liam Hendricks at the end of the games now is right again. He struggled early in the year a bit, but lately he's been on a run. And uh, he's a fireball at the end of the games. He really emotionally charges them up. Tim Anderson's that guy that charges them up. But I really think – I mentioned it before. Eloy Jimenez, Jimenez is a game changer. I mean, he's so talented. He's been hurt so much. It looks like he's back. Looks like he's in the middle of the order to give Abreu some protection. Abreu is one of the great players of his generation, underrated at first base, the numbers he's put up. So I just think the White Sox are going to be the team to beat. Uh, you know, Dylan Cease in, in the Cy Young Award uh, category. You know, so, yeah, I think you know, at the end of the day, I believe the White Sox are making a run now. They're getting healthy. They're playing better. You know, if I have to pick a team, I'm, I'm, I'm still picking the White Sox. They're only one game back right now and playing better and waiting on Tim Anderson, too. I think it's the White Sox. We were just talking them up this whole segment, but look out for Cleveland. They're, they have a top eight bullpen ERA right now and two X factors down the stretch. Jose Ramirez, a great closeout type of player down the stretch like he was last year. And the manager, Terry Francona, one of the best in the game, a veteran. He's been through it all. That's something that is not to be overlooked when you get into pennant races. Yeah, Class A finishing games yeah. is pretty good, too. I mean, throwing 102 mile an hour cutters. So, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like that point with Jose Ramirez. He's like Mr. September. It feels like that's been the case for the last several seasons. But Cleveland has probably been the most consistent pitching staff in that division this season. That could mean nothing if the White Sox's talent, the raw talent kind of starts to overpower things over the last six weeks or so. So uh, I'm going to go with the White Sox as well. They've been my World Series pick since opening day, so there's no point in jumping off that wagon at the moment. This is, uh, this is the best point to probably roll with that and make that a point, not hide from it. And uh, maybe we'll have to revisit that in about a week or so. They may be cooked by then, but we'll see. Uh, I, I do think this is a make or break week for them just based on the teams that they're facing, but also just setting up a morale for the, that final stretch where they are facing Minnesota and Cleveland more than 10 times uh, 
through the end of the regular season. So I think this is a really important week. I think they have the talent to do it. We shall see. People, let me tell you about Siegel Law Firm. It is an NYC-based personal injury and civil rights law firm. And what is the big separation between Siegel Law Firm and all those other law firms out there? They truly care about their clients. And sometimes you hear that, you said, oh, that's just a throwaway line. Well, they have what they like to call a Jerry Maguire type approach where the primary concern is extreme client attention. This means clear, regular communications with clients. They're gonna keep you updated on your case, provide assistance with medical providers and insurance issues. And they hire the right experts and put every case in the best chance to succeed. They treat clients like family and have incredible client satisfaction as a result. A lot of firms say this, but they actually do it. Treating clients like family is just one of their core values, and every decision they make is run through those core values. The misconception that you cannot afford a lawyer is not true. There's no cost to consult with Siegel Law Firm and no out-of-pocket costs when they handle your case. You don't pay anything until they recover for you, and then you share in a percentage of that recovery. So there's nothing to lose. Do not disqualify yourself from a case for no reason. It's always worth to call Siegel Law Firm. Give Siegel Law Firm a call or visit them at SiegelLawFirm.com. at Siegel-LawFirm.com to get the legal support you need. That's S-E-G-A-L LawFirm.com. Tuesday, there was a play at the plate in a game between the Guardians and the Tigers. There were two outs in the first inning. Uh, Tigers runner was called out at the plate. It was ruled that Guardians catcher Austin Hedges did not give the runner a clear path to the plate. So the inning continues. Zach Plesak ends up allowing three runs in the frame. And the Guardians end up losing four to three. And there have been similar calls involving a clear path at the plate in recent weeks. My question is, gentlemen, should this be a rule that Major League Baseball revisits in the offseason? I'm sure they're they're always looking at that rule and how to how to maybe make it more clear, but it's such a difficult ruling. It's so subjective. The timing of it matters. The, the reason for the rule is to, to avoid injuries and avoid avoid collisions at home plate. The Buster Posey kind of example that everybody likes to to talk about. So I don't know how you do it. Tell you the truth, it's still to this day people are confused about. And we understand that what they're trying to do is give a path to slide. Stop blocking the plate too early. Once you have the ball, then you can make the tag and block the plate. But what if the throw takes you into the runner? It's so subjective. I don't know how you change the rule beyond the subjective nature of that particular call. It, this rule has been around for almost 10 years now, and it only seems like now it, there's all these controversial plays, maybe a little bit right when it started in the, in the middle part of the last decade. But now there, there was the Gary Sanchez play, which I think was incorrect. I think Sanchez was properly uh, leaving the lane and then moved over when the ball came in. Same thing with Hedges. And I don't know how you legislate around it, but uh, it's ticking off the players for sure. I don't know if you guys caught uh, Austin Hedges' comments post-game. And uh, for the listeners, you can go track it down um, from after the, after the loss on Tuesday. He was really critical of the umpiring not just the strike zone during the game but that particular call calling it a disgrace and he rightfully in my opinion pointed out that he has to address the media all zach plesak has to address the media all these players have to be accountable 
and the umpires are nowhere to be found. Yeah, he called it a job without any real responsibility because the umpires don't have to answer for some of the calls that they make. Do you think this is getting more attention just because of the nature of how everyone perceives umpiring these days where there is a massive spotlight on it because of possible automated ball and strike zone coming up and everything like that? That's a good point, Shaq. I mean, yeah, we are sort of at a crossroads with rules changes and then what the game is going to look like next year with a potential pitch clock and other things. So, yeah, maybe it is a time to, to kind of revisit everything. And the problem is, is, is James correctly pointed out that all of a sudden, because they're game changers at the end of the game and these calls affect the outcome, that it becomes a, a hot button issue again. Yeah, certainly it's hard to have a spokesman when the, the call comes down from central office you know, in Chelsea that uh, major, you know, from, from a replay decision. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you could have the, the crew chief come out and try to explain what, what the overall call was. I think that would probably be a good idea is to have the crew chief come out and explain it exactly what the ruling was and why, but certainly there's a lot of subjectivity to, to the call and the reading of the play and the timing of the play. So it's a very difficult thing to explain when you have, a ruling that's based on judgment. I don't know if it's happening more often. Maybe it's just the botter meinhof effect where you see something once, like the Sanchez play, that was another key moment in a game and led to a winning run scoring. And now this play happening now, it's, it's happened more in recent weeks. You see something once, and then each time it comes up, you think it's happening more often than it really is. But it's, it's something that's going to have to be addressed. There was something that I thought of as well when I see calls like this happen. And yeah, obviously you want the correct call in real time, but I always think about the NBA and how they have their final two minute report and how you know, it comes out the next day. How valuable would something like that be for questionable calls around the league each time? Obviously you might not be able to have it in real time or right after the game, but if it comes out a day later, it's at least something that, gives an explanation to some of the actions from umpires. Interesting. It could be a very interesting thing to implement. I mean, there's more baseball games, obviously. It's tougher to, to keep up. I mean, there's twice as many games in baseball than basketball. And mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, the workload is a question. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thought, and why not? Yeah, it can only help. All right, guys, we touched on the Yankees at the very top. David talked about how – important or valuable an infusion of youth could be at certain points of the season when a team is maybe in a rut looking for answers trying to bust out of some struggles the Yankees have not looked good for various reasons for about a month now and their pitching's really turned it around but they're simply not scoring runs here when a good team is going through a rough stretch David as as bad as the Yankees have lately what is it like in the clubhouse well, it's awful. I mean, we're seeing the, the effects of it. We're seeing players kind of uh, look like they're beaten down a little bit. Aaron Hicks, the, the most recent example of that, obviously Joey Gallo before that, talked about even almost afraid to go out in public. They, they feel like they're in a bubble, and, and that that's troublesome to me. I mean, you don't want to have players that take themselves so seriously that you're in a bubble that you think – that the, the booze are coming for you or that the walls are closing in on you and you really do need to step back and a break. That's why I say 
that, that the only way you can do it is call up some young guys and let these guys have a little bit of a step back. Give them a few days off, not one day off. Give them a few games off. Let them sit back for a while. Let them work on some things. Talk to the sports psychiatrist. Work with the analytics department. Work on your swing. Look at video. You know, there's a lot of different things to do, but this time of the year is when fatigue sets in and maybe it's pre-injury. So some of these players that are struggling, maybe they're not injured, but they are fatigued and you're in the dog days. That's the time when you do need to take a step back. That's what medical data shows us. That's the advancements in the game on the medical side is that this is when you can be preemptive right here, right now. So if you want to use modern data, this is a great way to use it on the medical side is get these guys a break, let them get some rest. You know, people, People that have an old school mentality hate the, the workload management phrase. You know, oh my God, they can't, you know, pitchers can't throw nine innings anymore. This guy can't play every day. What's wrong with these guys? Well, they, you know what? Maybe these guys mentally and physically do need a break and they, they perform better if they did get the right proper break that, that they need along the way. And you need depth to be able to do that. So the only way you can get it is to, to give the kids a chance to play. So I applaud it. I, I'm more for it. I think position players are, are, more than ever before at a disadvantage because the rosters are tilted towards the extra guys being in the bullpen. There's very few guys on the bench nowadays. There's, there's very few opportunities to, to platoon guys or give guys rest, you know, even on the bench, you know, it seems like those guys don't get used as, uh, as, as much because a guy like Marwin Gonzalez is a multi-positional player. So he's not, you know, kind of the Jack of all trades, master of none. It would be nice to have a deeper bench. And, and have some guys that are legitimate players that, that can get in and out and, and, and give you a different look and give some guys a real break when they need it. So it's never been harder to be a position player in, in my mind. And, you know, the data tells us that when fatigue sets in, injuries are coming next. So maybe it's time to take a step back for some of the guys. This is like quicksand for the dog days. I mean, one thing mounts on top of one another. And before you know it, it's just – caving in it's too heavy absolutely you know and then we, we we talked about roster manipulation and the service time manipulation it's time for that to end the betterment of the overall organization says you know what you use your depth let's find out about these guys and don't worry about if you call them up too soon and oh what kind of message is it going to stunt his development or it didn't stunt Derek Jeter's development coming up in 1995 Derek Jeter came up and got some at bats and actually played pretty well and traveled with the team in 1995 during the postseason, and and credits that experience with a, a as a real learning curve for him, a turning point in his young career. I I wouldn't mind seeing Anthony Volpe up here in September. I wouldn't yeah. mind that. I know they'd have to put him on the roster, and that's probably a little too soon, and it's not going to happen. Uh, but Oswald Peraza is ready to come up and and get a look, and even if if he's not your shortstop. There's still there's still something there to be gained as opposed to, oh, it sends the bad message. Maybe Isaiah Kine or Falefa sees it the wrong way. You know, it's a challenge to his position and or maybe it's done. You want Oswald Peraza to play every day. I get it. I get that. But it's a big leagues mm -hmm. and he could help this team right now. And the experience could be valuable for, for him right now. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of ending roster manipulation, ending service time manipulation, and using the depth of your organization. The Atlanta Braves have shown us that this year. When Grissom comes up right from double-A and makes an immediate impact at 21 years old, we see some of these young guys come up, and they're not overwhelmed. They're more polished than ever before in the minor leagues. It's not 1980 
these guys are ready. They're exposed to more. They're exposed to analytics. They're exposed to training methods. They're much more advanced, much more polished than they've ever been. So the, the argument, the young players that you're pushing them too quick, I'm not buying it. I, I'm, I'm coming on the other end of the argument that say, you know, let's find out if these young kids can play or not. And you can always send them back. You know, you can always just say, hey, you know, this, this is part of your learning curve. Come up and take a look and see, and see what it looks like on the major league level and see how you measure up. Reps at the plate, also reps in the dugout, being able to just be a spectator, a spectator around a major league bench. They're probably, uh, you know, I don't want to call it equally invaluable, but there is a there is a big value to just being up there and taking in something like that. That plays a smaller piece in your development versus obviously physically standing at the plate and getting starts out in the field, but still. There's, it's not like there's no value to having you up there if, yeah. if you're not playing. I mean, you don't want somebody like a, a an Oswald Peraza to come up and sit yeah. for a week at a time. He's got to play if he comes up, and I get right. it. And I get it. He's not the guy that, uh, you know, that, that, that you're ready to make that change. I get it. You're not ready to say, okay, uh, here's your shortstop of the future. And when he call, we're calling him up, it's because he's going to play every day. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. He can still move around a little bit with the shifts. Why, why can't he give labor a break at second base for a day here or there? Why he can't he come up and play three times in a week, you know, three or four times and get a look at him? Why can't some of the other guys come up? You know, we're seeing two of them come up. So, why, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate and arguing against it. You know, certainly James and I have talked about the flip side of it. Hey, these guys aren't ready. They need to play every day. There's an argument and a debate to be had there. But as I said before, I think uh, – the argument on the side of pushing these young guys to the big league sooner and getting a look, I think has never been uh, a better argument because these guys are more polished and ready, more ready than they've ever been. And there's example after example of guys that have come up and proved that to be true. One thing that the Yankees struggles are doing, in my opinion, it's masking the Blue Jays struggles lately because at the time we're recording this, the Yankees still own a nine-game lead in the ALEs, but now it's Tampa Bay who's directly behind New York. Toronto's dropped eight of ten, and again, they don't have the cushion that the Yankees have here. We know that this offense with the Blue Jays, they can kind of flip at any moment with all the raw young talent. But when you take a look at the field here, guys, are the Blue Jays actually in danger of missing the postseason? I don't think so. I still like them more than the Orioles long term, and and the Central whoever are the runners up in the central. So I think there's still a good bet to grab one of the three uh, postseason spots. Uh, at the same time though, did anyone think going into the season that the blue Jays would be in the bottom half of major league baseball in starting rotation ERA, Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman have been fantastic. Jose Barrios and you say Kikuchi have been a disaster. That's the pitching side of it. Yeah. You still look at the Blue Jays lineup and say, oh my God, that, that lineup is still serious. We've got Springer back, even though he's probably not hundred percent, but even all the way down to Alejandro, Alejandro Kirk, <laughs> the catching position could rake. So yes, I, it's hard to look at that lineup and not believe in them, but there's something going on in Baltimore. That team with Adley Rushman now firmly kind of already the leader there already jumping up the leaderboard in a lot of categories and, it makes you wonder, and that bullpen is real in Baltimore. They are deep, but they are real. Bautista at the end of the games is as nasty as just about anybody out there right now. If, if uh, some of their other kids were ready to come up, 
you know, if Grayson Rodriguez was ready, unfortunately, I don't think he is because he's kind of had some injuries this year and his workload has been down. But if he were ready to come up right now, whoa, <laughs> it would be watch out for the Orioles all of a sudden. What's amazing about the Orioles? So I was asked uh, to find an early date where the Orioles have the best record in the American League East since such and such time. And, you know, I saw July and early June and it kept going farther and farther further and further back. The Orioles have the best record in the American League East since May 16th. They're 47 and 34. The Yankees are 47 and 36. That's three months. That's wild. Wow. Um, I, I, I'm not going to call it the day on the Orioles up until, you know, they, they really show that they were – the Orioles team that everyone thought they would be. They're, they're doing it. They're doing it without Ore Lopez. Bautista is filled in seamlessly. It's continuing to get it done. And as far as Toronto goes, I don't know, guys. I mean, this lineup, for all of its young talent, I don't know if they have the proper veteran leadership taking them and guiding them through the, you know, through the day-to-day. Um, for them to not be able to put it together and be the force that everyone projected them to be is a little head scratching. And, and I know a lot of the struggles as a whole has to deal with the inconsistencies of the pitching and James alluded to it as well. Like the names make you fear that pitching staff more than the results do. Obviously if you're paying attention, you're watching the games, it's just not happening. So like, if you get them in a playoff series, I mean, you're, you're at this point, you're not, you're not fearful. You're, you know, you're respecting who they're putting out there, but I don't think they strike any fear in an opponent based on the results this year. So something is not there in my opinion with the blue Jays. Maybe it was the way Charlie Montoyo had a lead on that group. Obviously he's not there anymore. We heard kind of, you know, a, a couple of rumors after his dismissal that the, there was something missing there, but I, I feel like there's something missing from this season because they were projected to do a whole lot more and just hasn't, we, you know, they, they had a couple of runs earlier in the year, midpoint of the season, but for them to not be able to put together sustained success is a bit head scratching for me. Valid point. I just, I think it comes down to the overall depth of their pitching staff. You know, mm-hmm. not just the, the starting pitchers that James mentioned, you know, that the two that are doing well and the two that aren't so that aren't doing so well, but also top to bottom in the bullpen. And Romano has been beaten down a little bit at the end of the game and used a lot. So you wonder about the overall depth, if they've got enough pieces and enough enough horses to, to, to make up for a little bit of a shortness in their rotation, because they've had to use those guys a lot down in that bullpen and they look like they're wearing down a bit. All right, let's segue toward the National League, and I want to do it this way with, with the wild card races because there are two teams right now that are, are playing pretty well. The Red Sox, four games out despite being a game under 500, and I think a lot of people have already dismissed the Red Sox. I don't think you should do that just yet. The Giants, meanwhile, in the National League, they've won five straight, eight of ten here, and they are now within four and a half games of a wild card spot in the NL. Which team do you guys think that uh, – let me rephrase it. Which team do you have more faith in to grab a wild card, Red Sox or Giants? Well, I, I guess I'll go first. Uh, I, just from a mathematical standpoint, 
the Giants have less teams to jump to leapfrog. It's just the Giants in Milwaukee right at this point or, or side by side. There's nobody else, you know, with the Red Sox. Well, you've, you've got several teams. you got a leapfrog there, including depending on the central who shakes out of there, whether it's uh, Chicago, you got Minnesota, obviously, and Baltimore and the resurgent Orioles are, are making it tough on, on the Red Sox. I, I wouldn't give up on the Red Sox. They could get hot. We know that lineup can get hot again and then really swing the bat. Rafael Devers is just an incredible player having a really, really incredible year. Uh, but they just, there's so many teams in front of them. They, 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 it's a problem. The American League East is so difficult. The scheduling, who they're going to have to leapfrog and play the rest of the way, is, I think the degree of difficulties is tougher for the Red Sox than it is for the Giants, even though the Giants are, you know, have some games to cover and they, they need to really have some consistent play. But there's just them and the Brewers at this point to look at. The Giants have maybe an easier road so to speak but i do trust the red sox more it seems like the giants right when they start to make a move they slip back they go on a little run and win six of nine then they lose eight of ten then they go on a run then they fall back so now they've won what is this now uh, eight out of ten but that was immediately after a three and twelve stretch so they're very up and down and it's hard to know when the when the next dip is coming I like that, James. I have more faith and probably more trust in the Red Sox over the Giants. But I think what David was saying, the amount of teams that they're going to have to go through to get back to a, a third spot even, it, it might just be too daunting. So I actually like the Red Sox more, but I probably have more faith in the Giants' chances down the stretch to, to potentially grab a wild card spot. Um, but I, I still think the Red Sox are never going to stop being dangerous through the end of the regular season. So they're going to be a test, even though they're in last place in the AL East. People, this is your chance to turn big league action into big winnings with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Right now, new customers can bet just five bucks on any game and get $100 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. At DraftKings Sportsbook, you'll be able to bet on your favorite batter to hit a double in his next plate appearance, your favorite pitcher's next pitch to be a strike, and so much more. We have entered the dog days, but they are exciting. There are some interesting division races still to be sorted out. The wild card races are tight as well. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B. New customers can make any $5 bet and get $100 in free bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. MLB trademarks used with permission. All right. All the way over to the National League now. Earlier this week, it was announced that Walker Bueller is heading for season-ending elbow surgery, and he hadn't pitched since June 10th. But I also don't think that many people thought that he would not be a factor for L.A. when the postseason rolled around in October. So Bueller's out. Clayton Kershaw's dealing with more back issues this year. If you look at Tony Gonsolin's innings pitched, it's already double his previous career high. And I know that they have the other pieces they're there, obviously, but how concerned should we be over the Dodgers starting pitching depth for the postseason? 
David Roberts was asked that question recently, and he talked about he deferred about the entire roster, uh, the pitching side, talking about the depth. He believes in the the entire pitching staff. He doesn't like to sort of you know to go go pitcher to pitcher, rotation you know piece to rotation piece. But I'll answer the question for him. Yes, the, it, it could potentially be a problem, especially if you're matching up against Degrom and and Scherzer. That you know who would be favored in Vegas, game one. You know, even, you know, that really puts a lot of emphasis on a guy who's under the radar and Julio Urias, who's a very good pitcher, capable of dominating himself. He's got great stuff, underrated potential dominant pitcher that they're really going to lean on and need. Maybe they get Kershaw back. Can you really lean on Clayton Kershaw? Can you just start him once around? He's not a game one, game five guy. He's not a two, two, certainly not three times in a seven game series, maybe two times in a seven game series. How much can you really count on him? that's to be answered. Gonsolin's great. Anderson's great, but they're finesse pitchers. They're not somebody who you line up and you're, you're afraid of. If you're the opposing team, you, you respect them. They deserve, they deserve credit for how they're pitching. You mentioned the workload, how that shakes down for them, but Vegas, if they're matching up against the Mets in a seven game series and the first two starters are Urias and Gonsolin or Anderson, Sorry, <laughs> I'm taking the Mets, you know, and DeGrom and Scherzer in the first two games. So that that's the problem. And then at the end, you've got Kimbrell, who's, uh, wait a minute, yeah, great, almost a Hall of Fame, borderline Hall of Fame pitcher. Now, if he finishes on a good note, certainly one of the best of his generation, but he's not a, he's had his own issues right now. So uh, who's closing the games for them? They have a lot of depth pieces. They have a lot of good pitchers, but they don't really have – the setup that the Mets have and the Edwin Diaz with the trumpets playing and the lockdown closer that you can bring him in the eighth inning. I don't know. There's some questions in the Dodgers pitching staff. Uh, they're a great team all, all over. Maybe they can cover it up, but yeah, it's a legitimate question. Maybe we should be concerned, but I guess I'm not because they just always seem to have great pitching and figure it out. So cross that bridge when it comes and it'll be great to get Dustin May back. Yeah. And you mentioned Dave Roberts navigating the postseason as far as a pitching unit as a whole, not specifically rotation and bullpen. I think that come October, their 13-man pitching staff will be as good as anybody's uh, come the postseason. And if you look at, to 2020 when they won, it was Urias who closed out the World Series. They were using a, a starting pitcher in relief. And I think uh, Roberts gets creative like that. And uh, I think we'll see a whole slew of arms uh, in and out for the Dodgers come playoff time. That's the thing. I don't know if operating that way, this particular time, when you see what is in front of you in terms of competition, getting to the World Series between the Mets, Scherzer, DeGrom, the Braves, I mean, Max Freed and sure. And I mean, potentially Mike Soroka now, like, you know, who, who knows? Um, Charlie Morton's I, back too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, I, I would take, a, I would, and Ian Anderson. I mean, if you just presented it to me like that, given what the Dodgers are going through right now, I'd probably take the Braves uh, pitching plans over the Dodgers pitching plans at this Strider, moment. Strider, Spencer Strider. Yeah. Um, you can keep going here. I mean, I, I think this is a legit concern. If you are a Dodgers fan, I know they keep winning at this rate, but everything changes in October. The structure changes. The presentation changes. They've proved that they're able to fight through it and get through it in the past. If they do it again this year, it's going to be with even fewer bodies because I think people 
may forget just how valuable and good Walker Bueller has become. Um, Julio Arias has done a terrific job. And yes, he excels as a more of as a reliever. He fits that profile in the postseason. Um, what, is that something that's going to have to happen out of necessity now where you're going to have to have him start with I got him, him starting game Dodgers. one. I got yeah. him starting game one. Yeah. Right well, now. like I think truth serum, you might want Arias like in an ideal world coming out of the bullpen again, just because he, he, he could be, uh, he just fits better as a weapon. If you had all your pieces in place, obviously they don't. So they may have to operate at a necessity here, but if you're, if you're matching them up with the Mets, the Braves at this point, the Dodgers aren't going to be my first choice. So uh, I think it's a, I think it is a legit concern there. Talking about the Mets, talking about the Braves, they're facing one another right now. And the Braves are on a roll here, guys. They have won eight straight since the Mets took three of four from them back in the first weekend of August. As a pitcher, are you more worried about the Braves offense or the Mets right now? You know, I'm not really worried about either of them, tell you the truth. Uh, I think the Mets have interchangeable pieces. They've got the, their trade deadline maneuvers were great. It gave Buck Showalter some some examples to platoon with. Obviously, there's, they need some some help at third base with the injuries. We'll see what their, you know, Batty can do uh, coming up. Um, they're going to need a lift there. Uh, maybe because the injuries, maybe the Mets a little bit. Uh, the Braves, I don't know. I look at that lineup. I see it's pretty good. I see Acuna Jr. is, is really not hitting his stride as of yet and leading off for them. Dansby Swanson's had a great year and has been his walk here. Uh, Matt Olson's just getting it going, too. He's kind of, uh, I mean, he's had a great year, but he, he's got more to give in the tank. So I don't really worry about the Braves that much. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to match up. It's going to be, you know, the, the Mets and the Braves are going to battle on and, uh, the, you know, it's whoever ends up on top, it's not over. The Braves are right back in the East now. They're, they're going to push the Mets right down to the wire. We'll see who comes out on top and see who earns the right to go play the Dodgers. That's what's really going to come down to. Which which one of the Mets and the Braves can get through it and, and end up playing the Dodgers? And that's going to be interesting to see. Pick your poison. They're both strong offenses in their own way. Uh, I think I'd be a little more scared of Atlanta because they have a little more slug. They have more power. They're second in home runs behind the Yankees. They're second in slugging behind the Dodgers. And I think that's something that's a little, um, how do you say, let's say it's stickier come postseason. The teams that are a little more power reliant tend to retain more of their offense and their scoring come postseason when you're facing higher level pitching. Well, one of the guys that has been responsible for some of that slug lately has been Michael Harris, the second, because as a rookie, he has slugged out 12 home runs and about 250 at bats. And the Braves locked him up to an eight year deal for $72 million. Again, less than three full months into his big league career. And if you count them between uh, some high-end prospects and some valuable core players. Atlanta, by my count, has 10 young players under team control at least until 2027 when it has a club option on Ozzy Albies. Is Alex Anthopoulos the best team executive going right now? Another example, and I know it was because of an injury that he was forced. He should be in double A right now. He's, he's Anthony Volpe. 
you know, he was in double A and they had to call him up because of you know, Acuna Jr.'s injury and they had to throw him in center field before he was probably ready or, you know, undercooked a little bit, as they say. But uh, that look, yeah, I mean, uh, Anthopolis yeah, is the best pre, you know, the, the preemptive GM in the game. He's got something going on there. They're all buying into it. They all love to play there. To me, he's he's leading the way in terms of the whole compensation system hasn't been changed since Sandy Messerschmitt in 1976. And it cries out for a change. Jaron judge is a perfect example of that. The surplus value that players uh, present to the ownership side and the control of the contracts and the service manipulation is so valuable that they like it the way it is. They kind of got it the way it is. We need a little more balance where these players get paid sooner, where you don't have to, wait till you're 30 or 31 years old. And then you're talking about paying Aaron judge $50 million a year when he's 39 years old. You know, that, that's kind of the quandary we're in now. I, I wish that we could change the system and it's not going to happen right away, but it kind of needs to be, it needs to happen. And now, you know, this is what I call Anthopolis kind of a, you know, a preemptive strike on the system and, and, and appealing to these young players. Hey, here you go. There's some risk on the ownership side too. If you guys get hurt, Certainly, but yeah, the, the payoff is, is we get you undervalued and we have more maneuverability to, for the entire roster. You guys get your own security earlier in, in your lives. This kid's 21 years old. That's a lot of money for a 21-year-old who was supposed to be in AA right now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's smart business. If you're an agent or you're the Major League Players Association, you're kind of, you're a little squeamish looking at these deals because you see undervalue and we know that the free market is the best way to drag values up and there's a you know, like kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. So the, the, you know, that's always been the theory behind the players association, protect the free market, because that's the best way you can find out what you're truly worth. Uh, it, this preempts all that, but nonetheless, you got to give on credit and these people love playing there and no two players are the same 21 year old kid from the Dominican Republic has a different lifestyle and different needs. And then a, a different kid from, from a different part of the world or a different part of the, of, of this country for that, for that matter. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of variables involved and you got to give him credit. He's certainly starting blazing a new trail down there in Atlanta. When all these kids come up and perform really well, they make Anthopolis look like a genius as for the pay structure question. It's kind of, I don't, I kind of don't like seeing so many of these young guys take below market value deals in a larger sense around the game, but on a micro level, you can't tell this one player or that one player, Oh, you know, bite the bullet and, and, and pass up life changing money in order to serve the greater good. It's really hard to do that. And all of this happening guys after they win a world series. So most of this work had had been done before they captured a world series title, but between Olsen being locked up now and, and this extension, Austin Riley, like a lot of these core players are, are getting locked up after they win the World Series title. Everyone's always trying to look forward to building up these pieces, having them in place to go for that World Series title. Well, this is happening after they already got the ring. So uh, a job well done there by Alex Anthopoulos. And another piece of good news for the Braves, Mike Soroka struck out eight batters in four innings during his first rehab start on Tuesday, which injured pitchers imminent return is more important for his respective team. Is it Soroka's or is it Jack Flaherty's for the Cardinals? 
I believe it's Soroka's because his repertoire lends itself to pitching, more craftsmanship, his ability to change speeds. He doesn't rely on upper 90s fastball. Flaherty's a power guy. So, you know, he really relies on his power, power slider, power fastball. So I'm not sure if he's had enough time to build that power up or if that's going to be sustainable for the Cardinals once he does get back. So uh, Soroka's a guy that's going to come in and change speeds and his repertoire is ready to go. It's baked in, you know, he doesn't have to build up to 99 miles an hour on his fastball. All of his stuff is there right now. He's ready. As long as he can hold up, as long as he can stay healthy with his, his injuries. His, he has a unique injury history, obviously with his Achilles tendon and double surgery that he's had on that particular area. So you're always worried about that, but nonetheless, his repertoire lends itself to be more effective once he comes back. Cause he doesn't rely on Uber power at the top end. I agree with cone Coney on a, on Soroka there, but I do think the Cardinals might need Flaherty more. The Braves, as as we've talked about before, are, are rolling, and it seems like they might. The Cardinals might need Flaherty more to beat out the Brewers to win the Central. It's going to be a tight race, probably all the way down to the very end of the season. Yeah, I'm going to go with yeah. yeah. I'd say Flaherty just for the division race. So Flaherty with the Cardinals, but it is a good time to. Be a fan of the Braves right now. They're winning games. They're getting healthier, and they're extending young players. So what more can you ask for at the moment with the Atlanta Braves? All right, guys. This week in pitching history, James, what do you have for us? All right, guys. Uh, August 19th, 1969, that's 53 years ago Friday, Ken Holtzman of the Cubs pitches a no-hitter against the Braves at Wrigley Field. Now, officially, there are 317 no-hitters in Major League history, but this one is one of only three and the most recent one without a strikeout. Earl Hamilton did it for the Browns against the Tigers in 1912. Sad Sam Jones did it for the Yankees against the A's in 1923. Holtzman pitched another no-hitter for the Cubs against the Reds in 1971, and he was a starter for the A's uh, three-peat dynasty from 1972 to 74. But he pitched that first of his no-hitters this week in 1969 and guys i'm gonna have a not so hot take not so crazy prediction i think that holtzman's zero strikeout no hitter will be the last of its kind in the history of major league baseball does that make it more does that make it more impressive or or less impressive that he was able to pull that off with zero strikeouts well, it's, it's so you're so, so much more subjects. It's, it's kind of more impressive in the sense that you're subjected to, to random variance more, you know, to the bounce of a ball, to, to the plays behind you being made. You're not taking the ball out of play, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, the, the easiest thing for a pitcher to do is do it by yourself. Strike them out. You, know, you take all the random variance out of it, unless there's an umpire giving you a call on, you know, there's a little bit of that, but our catcher framing a pitch, but. You know, you're never all you're never totally by yourself unless you're just blowing fastballs by guys and they're swinging through them. All right, guys, how about three up, three down? We put a spotlight on a player, a team, a trend that we feel deserves some love every single week. Uh, James, lead it off for us again here. What do you have, man? All right. So the postseason schedule uh, was released this week, and it's not the usual schedule that we see. The lockout kind of pushed the they're having makeup games go into when we would normally have the postseason start. So they're cramming more games into fewer days with the wild card round. So, all right, the wild card round starts the three days in a row, and then you have a day off, and then you go off to the division series. Now we're used to 
two, off day, two, off day, and then a game five in the DS. The That's what the NLDS is doing with two days on, then an off day, and then three in a row, even with travel between games four and five. The ALDS is a little stranger. They have game one, then an off day, even though they're not traveling. Then they have game two, and then an off day, and then three in a row, even though there's travel between games four and five. So that kind of throws off the, the schedule a little bit. And then in the league championship series on both sides, AL and NL, it's not two off, three off, two. It's two games, and then an off day, you travel to the other site, and then you play five games in a row with no off day between games five and six, even though you're traveling to the other site. So I think it's going to be a little more reminiscent of the 2020 postseason where they were really cramming games in and they had very few off days and it was really brutal on pitching staffs. Which point is, for, for the division series is, uh, I don't want to say annoying. I don't want to use that word, but what, what, which, which point is more inconvenience? Is it the two off days over the first three games or three consecutive games if you need them for a division series with that travel in between games four and five, which, which, which is more irritating for a baseball team? You know, I would say that the most important thing, even though the travel can be a bummer, depending on how many time zones you have, you're going to have to jump here to be in the matchup. That matters. I still remember that flight to Seattle from New York after game two in 1995 when the Yankees were the first wild card team. And it was a five game series, but it was uh, three straight in Seattle. We had to fly and jump to Seattle and play three straight. So that, that was difficult jumping time zones, but I still say the matchup of your pitchers getting an extra off day in there after game one, if you have a dominant number one starter, that is huge for anybody. You got Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer or somebody like that, a Max Fried on the Atlanta side, pick, pick the best number one starters out there and they can come back sooner because there's an off day after game one, or you've got an off day in there to be able to get your extra start to a dominant starter. That is huge for any team that has that kind of a dominant starter. All right, David, what do you have? Three up, three down. Uh, you know, I, I was just thinking about this. I want to throw some love the, the Royals way, you know, my, my Kansas city roots, but just the fact that they, you know, they've got uh, several rookies in their lineup that gives them hope again to get the kids up and playing. You know, I, I love watching them play nowadays. When you look, you know, we always knew about Bobby Wood Jr. We had him on, you know, friend of the friend of the show. But, you know, as I looked at their lineup, you know, there's I think they had six rookies in their lineup. Prado playing first base, uh, you know, Melendez has got some serious pop. We saw him at Yankee Stadium uh, as a catcher with Salvador Perez, but a left-handed hitter with some serious, serious pop. And, you know, as, as you go through their lineup, you look at uh, you don't want to uh, forget Vinny P. Vinny P. The uh, the Italian nightmare. Uh, you know Pasquantino. He's amazing. And what a personality! I saw him on Major League Baseball today in his interview before. What a great guy. Great personality. I think the Royals have a lot of hope. Talking to my brother at home, he's like, man, this is kind of fun. You know, we we got some kids to follow now. Even though obviously they're not in a race, it's not going to matter this year. But the thing that does matter is. You got a lot of kids with energy. They give you a reason to watch on a day in and day out basis. And I think you, know, you look at uh, Prado at first base is the answer. Maybe Vasquantino at first base, DH, Melendez, Bobby Witt Jr. Wow, and you, you've got a leader like Salvador Perez leading them. And then you know, I, I know some of the guys on the pitching staff are coming around as well too. But just the, the rookies, the actual rookies in that lineup, all together at once, 
gives Kansas City some hope right now and a reason to watch, regardless of the record. Melendez is a dude. Yeah. I saw him a few weeks ago at Yankee yeah. Stadium. You only see him a few games. You're like, wow, this guy can play. Yeah, he's got some serious pop, some bat speed. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to piggyback you there with the Royals, David. And this wasn't planned, guys. So uh, I'll focus more on the pitching with, with some of these young rotation pieces. Man, Brady Singer, you got a front row look at him when he came to the stadium. He looked sharp there. He held the Dodgers in his last start to one hit over six scoreless innings. That was back on Sunday. This was a Dodgers team, again, that I think they won 12 in a row at that point. So he he stopped that winning streak right there. And it just feels like he has had it all click for him as a young big league pitcher this season. One run or fewer allowed in five of his last six. And again, he's doing it against teams like LA, like the Yankees. Did it against the Rays, the White Sox as well, teams that are kind of fighting for playoff spots there. So I think he should be able to establish a new career high in innings pitch. I think it was right around 130. He just cracked over 100 now. I just hope Singer can kind of finish strong, carry this over into next season. But, you know, for former first-round pick, who the Royals have really invested a lot of their future in for everything to go right with him, um, I feel like it's starting to go right, and something's clicked for him as a, as a young major league pitcher. So I would keep my eye on Brady Singer for the rest of this season, see how he finishes. It's a great pick. Yeah, I love that pick, uh, Shaq. And you're dead on there. When you look under the hood, his stuff is dynamite, darting two-seam fastballs, high velocity. The swings he's getting, the looks he's getting from opposing hitters, it's like, whoa, what was that? That darting, running fastball with that tight little slider he's got going with it. Wow, he, he is overpowering some hitters nowadays. Singer with a 2-1-6 ERA over his last eight starts. And he's up around a 30% strikeout rate, which was interesting to me. And uh, we're probably going to see him next against, another, uh, against a contending team. It looks like he's lining up for Friday against the Rays. So if, uh, before you listen, after you listen to this, if on Friday, maybe catch uh, Singer against the Rays. He and the Royals, they could be playing spoiler. Like those are one of the, that's one of the main teams that you could say, hey, they have a chance to play spoiler just because you have three teams in the heat of the AL Central race. So keep an eye on the Royals for more reasons than just their development. It should be interesting. Hey, all you men out there, is crotch discomfort hurting your game? Well, fear no more. The kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, they have spent two long, hard, arduous years locked up in a lab designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. They are sleek, they are soft, they're flexible, and they are, above all else, comfortable. It's the brand-new Boxers 2.0 from Manscaped. They will take your balls to the Royal Ball Throne. The global leaders in below-the-waist grooming also have the Lawnmower 4.0 for the trimming, so you can wear the Boxers 2.0 for the chilling. They even trademarked the jewel pouch, so you know it is serious. I always say self-investment is the best thing you can do for yourself it is time that you invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using our code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, at manscaped.com. Here's what you get with the Lawnmower 4.0. Not only is it the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming, it keeps on developing. This is a fourth-generation trimmer featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology. It also is waterproof. It has a 400K LED spotlight that you are going to need for a more precise shave. And that leads to the boxers. They are a game changer. They have 
micro model fabric, which is so buttery soft and breathable. It keeps all your good stuff down there all cool. You could walk, you could run, you can strut. It doesn't matter. They have moisture wicking boxers that allow you to breathe without breaking a sweat. Be proud of your underwear and wear the Manscaped waistband with a badge of honor. Your balls deserve it. Get 20% off and free shipping with our code SLAB, S-L-A-B at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with our code SLAB at manscaped.com. Up your crotch game. Because once the boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you are never going to go back. Really quick from each of you, what's one thing that you are looking forward to this week as the races, you know, start, start to heat up. We're now getting into the back end of August. It's wild to think about like summer's over. It sucks. (laughs) And, and here we are, the, the, the races are heating up. What's, what's that one thing that you want to keep your eye on, whether it's with the Mets, the Braves, the Yankee situation, the wild card in each league. What, what are you looking for? Well, I keep beating this drum, but you know, it's for me. It's it's um, when you know, and I use the the Atlanta Braves as the example. Uh, you know, Michael Harris coming from Double A. It's the kids. It's the only way you can improve your team now. You can't make a trade unless somebody gets released. I think that's why you're seeing uh, Brian Cashman with the Yankees kind of keep all of his depth pieces together because if you let somebody go like an Abreu or a Litke, or if you make a decision on the roster, a Marwin Gonzalez, maybe your competitor picks them up. You know, you're always guarded against that. Uh, you're trying to protect all your depth pieces because that's the only way you can improve your team is if somebody gets released, you can pick them up that way, but he has to go through waivers. But it's your own organization. It's internally. You're in the middle of August. The Yankees are desperate right now. DJ LeMahieu might be on the IL. Somebody gets hurt. The Mets, you look at their situation. You, you, over the next couple of weeks, Really, next six weeks, or really in particular, next couple of weeks, if somebody gets hurt, you got to call up the kid from double A. There's no choice about it. And you know what? The success rate is there. There's two kids on the on the Braves that are really contributing. One of them just got a lot of money and it should be in double A. Both of them should still be in double A right now. It makes you think about some of these great players that are in double A right now. Well, well, maybe they can't, maybe they can make it. Maybe they can contribute or not. So uh, that's what I'm looking at, you know, is, uh, you know, is it, is it time to look for the kids? You know, I think it is. I think it's a follow, especially if you see injuries on any team in particular, the Yankees, as we've seen, you know, some age on their roster, some injuries starting to creep in. You need to find out. You only have one place to go. Some notable series this weekend. Mets at Phillies Astros at Braves. That's a fun one. White Sox at Guardians. Shaq, you mentioned that earlier in the show. Blue Jays at Yankees. And how about this? Red Sox at Orioles. And David, you're on that series. It's going to be Sunday Night Baseball at Camden Yards. That's awesome. Actually, Williamsport. Oh, right. We're (laughs) in Williamsport. I'm going to do a Little League game. You know, first, too. During the day, we, you know, Carl uh, Ravitch and Eduardo Perez and I are going to do a Little League game during the day and then do – do the game that night from Williamsport. I've got to drive to Williamsport for New York City. I mean, there's nowhere. There's an airport in Williamsport, but there's no commercial flights that go into Williamsport. So my best chance to get there is probably in a car. So that's what I'm looking at right now. I'm driving down Saturday and and uh, got a full day Sunday in Williamsport. That's awesome. Coney's a little leaguer once again. Yeah, it'd be beautiful. Fun. Yeah, hey, give kids give the kids a chance at this point in the year, right? So here we are. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. And the Braves are leading the way yep. you know, because by necessity, they probably wouldn't have called those guys up if they didn't have to, but they did. And look, uh, yeah, if you can make it, if you're playing, if you've got a big year in double a, 
that that's the biggest jump. We saw uh, Anthony Volpe struggle when he first got to double A. Now he's raking, having a great year down there with 40 stolen bases. I don't know. Aren't you tempted to see Anthony Volpe right now? I know it's probably going to happen, but aren't you, isn't it nice to think about that? Sure. To wonder <laughs> what he would do at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I'm curious. I'm you and they're one or two injuries away from from that happening. If somebody comes up with a hamstring, you know, Peraza's next in line. You know, what what, what happens? You know, if, if some injuries happen, those are the only two places you go if you need a couple of middle infielders. Oswaldo Cabrera is here. He can play all over the field. So let's see. The begin. This is the beginning. Let's see what happens. I don't want this to sound like East Coast bias, but I'm just really intrigued with Mets Braves throughout the rest of this week. Yankees Blue Jays over the weekend, and then leading it up right to uh, the second iteration of the Subway Series here this season with the Mets and the Yankees uh, in the Bronx. So it's going to be an interesting few days ahead here, and we'll be with you to kind of recap it all next week, going into the latter stages of August, and then. Before we know it, it is Labor Day. Man, that's the next. <laughs> that is going to do it for this episode, guys. Back to school. Uh, Back yes. to school for the kids. <laughs> uh, big thanks to our terrific producer, Dan Rourke. New episodes of the show, they drop every single week. Please rate, review, subscribe. It is the best way that you can continue to show support for the show here. For David, for James. And Dan Work, this is Justin. We'll talk to you next week on Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohen.